Thank you, Brian. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 2? Not sure of the page number. Forgot to look it up this morning. So first person who finds it in the Pew Bible, if you could shout out a page number for me, that would be... Pardon? Thanks, Richard. 884. So please, let's stand together for the public reading of God's Word. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards of great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and then we will interpret it. The king answered, I am certain that you're trying to buy time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided, that if you do not tell me my dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation was changed or will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he decided and ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. And when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to, uh, to put death to the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Grab a seat. Last, uh, last Sunday morning, we, we started and finished with a question. 
and it was the same question. It was this, how deep is your faith? How deep is your faith? It's an important question because a deeply rooted faith will enable you to keep the faith, especially whenever you find yourself living in an environment and in a culture where Christian faith is increasingly ridiculed and challenged or is seen as unnecessary and completely irrelevant. Whereas a shallow faith, a faith that's only, and we talked about this, like a faith that's only an inch deep is, is probably not going to survive the long term. How deep is your faith? Now, the reason I asked that question was not to make anyone feel uncomfortable or got at. It simply came out of our introduction to to the book of Daniel, because as you read chapter one, what you very quickly pick up and observe is that Daniel and his friends were deep people. They were people of deep faith who, despite the pressures and challenges of living in exile, living in Babylon, living in a foreign land, which was thoroughly pagan, thoroughly ungodly, anti-Christian, where all the kind of familiar external support structures were ripped away from them. Despite all of that, they kept the faith. In fact, their faith didn't just survive. It thrived. How deep is your faith? And so based on our reading of the opening chapter, we identified a couple of specific characteristics of deep people. So here were the two we looked at last week. The first is that people of deep faith engage with culture, but they know where and when to draw lines in the sand. In other words, people of deep faith walk that tightrope between compromise and conviction, and they walk it with integrity. They're willing to go with and accept certain things, but they're also prepared to take a stand. They're also prepared to speak up and speak out when necessary. You remember what we read last week? Daniel purposed in his heart, resolved, determined not to defile himself by eating from the set menu. But remember, he purposed not to defile himself, didn't impose it on anyone else. And we as Christians need to know where at times to draw the lines in the sand for ourselves and not necessarily impose that on everyone else. People of deep faith know how to walk this tightrope. Secondly, people of deep faith know and believe, as Brian has already mentioned this morning, that God's in control. God is sovereign. And despite appearances at times, despite evidence to the contrary, like whenever you're being carted off into exile, whenever you are being ripped away from everything, whenever you're being forced to change your identity, whenever you are being forced to learn all kinds of stuff that are alien to your worldview, which is what happened Daniel and his friends, despite all of that and then some, people of deep faith hold on to the fact, they hold on to the truth. Do you know something? Despite all of that, despite all I see around me, despite what happened yesterday in Turkey, 
God's still in control. People of deep faith believe that. Despite everything, say in other ways. Daniel got that. And this morning, I want us to keep kind of uncovering more characteristics of deep people from Daniel chapter 2, which begins, as we read a moment ago, it begins in dreamland. We all dream, some more than others, but whenever dreams feel like nightmares, they start robbing you of your sleep, and that can be a real problem. And Nebuchadnezzar was having disturbing dreams, plural, not a singular dream, it seems. But there was one in particular, and this may have been a recurring dream, there was one in particular that was starting to disturb his sleep pattern. And it bothered him and it troubled him, and so he he wanted to know what did it mean. Now, dream interpretation was a a regular service that was provided by his in-house staff. The king's professional crew of magicians and enchanters and astrologers and sorcerers, this would have been on their list of responsibilities, dream interpretation. And so getting a call up to go and interpret the king's latest dream or his latest nightmare, that was nothing out of the ordinary. It was just a routine day at the office or the palace. Only on this particular day, it was not ordinary. Because Nebuchadnezzar had taken a decision. Major decision that wasn't up for negotiation. He decided that rather rather than do what he always did and what every king always did, rather than tell his wise men the dream and then ask them to interpret it, he said, I'm shifting the goalposts. I want you to tell me what I actually dreamed, and then interpret it. So, tell me its contents. Tell me its details. Tell me the visuals. And the stakes here are high. Because if you don't do this, I'm going to cut you into pieces. And I'm going to raise your houses to the ground. And so the astrologers are freaked to put it mildly. And although they make the point that, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, no king's ever done this before. No king's ever asked us to do that. Plus, what you've asked us to do is actually impossible. At least, it's humanly possible. I mean, the gods can do it, but none of them are on staff. And despite their protestations, the king is raging. And he just orders the commander, go and kill all the wise men of Babylon. And now, as we know from last week, all the wise men of Babylon includes Daniel and his three friends. Look at verse 14. Notice how Daniel responds to the assassin. The commander Ariok's reasons for going to see Daniel were extremely serious, sinister, ominous. Ariok has been dispatched on a mission to murder and wreck. Feelings were running high. Lives here are on the line. And yet we read that Daniel 
spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And I want to suggest that those are two further characteristics of deep people. Wisdom. That's not about being smart, or at least being smart as we understand smart. It's not about a high IQ. It's not about intelligence. It's not about something you kind of read up on and you learn. It's an accumulation of facts. That's not wisdom, biblically speaking. Wisdom is a gift from God. Look down at verse 23, where Daniel thanks God for giving him wisdom. And as you interact with God's words, you discover that wisdom is not a concept to be learned. It's a relationship to be enjoyed. Can I say that again? Because it's so important. Wisdom is not a concept to be learned. It's a relationship to be enjoyed. Wisdom does not come through human effort. But as Job declared, the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. Classic proverb, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, echoed by the psalmist in Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom, in other words, comes from submission to God. It comes from being in relationship with him. And when we take this into the New Testament, Paul actually talks about this in terms of having the mind of Christ. Think about that. Having the mind of Christ. And so as we follow Jesus, as we deny selves, take up our cross and go after him on a daily basis, go after his life, go after his teaching, go after his values, go after his kingdom, we are able to make good and better choices. We're able to walk wisely. We're able to live wisely. Wisdom is a divinely given ability which provides insight regarding how to live well. Deep people are people who know how to live well. But I absolutely love this second characteristic. Daniel spoke with tact. Don't you just wish that all of us and all Christians, in our interactions with others, especially in difficult conversations, in volatile situations like this one was. Especially whenever we're engaging with those who are out to get us, who are out to attack us, as Ariok was. Especially when we're in dialogue with people who are different from us, who see things from an entirely other perspective. Wouldn't it be great if all of us, if every Christian spoke with tact? With discretion, with sensitivity, with diplomacy, with understanding, I want to suggest again that people of deep faith do. People of deep faith speak with tact. So let me ask you a question. How do you speak? To others? About others? Are your words wise? And are they considerate? We could develop this so much more. But let me get back to the text. Because then we discover a third characteristic of deep people. Daniel is willing to get involved. He's willing to help. And so he asks Ariok a question. 
He goes and sees the king. And that, 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 was, that was a big deal. He goes and sees the king and he asks the king for more time. See, Daniel's prepared to talk with key people. He's prepared to engage with the problem, with the challenge. He wants to seek answers. He wants to seek solutions. And people of deep faith are those who are not prepared to bury their heads in the sand. Deep people get involved for the sake of others as well as for themselves. Do you know, if Daniel could help here, he was going to literally save hundreds of lives from being hacked into pieces. And so Nebuchadnezzar, for some reason, and we're not entirely sure, but he grants Daniel time. And so Daniel shares the situation with his friends. He's listened, he's asked questions, he's got involved, he's engaged. And then he shares the situation with his friends and they realize they've only one option. Only one option. That's to pray. And so they turn to God and they get on their knees and they plead, it says, for mercy concerning this mystery. And I know it, it, it kind of almost goes without saying, you'd expect me to say this, but deep people pray. Deep people pray. Themselves, but like this, they gather with others. This is one of the first, I think, prayer cells. They gather with others and they seek God's face on a regular basis. They seek his counsel. They seek his advice. They seek his insight. They acknowledge their need for consistent dialogue with the divine. Deep people are praying people. And so let me ask you another question. How is your prayer life? How is it? Deep people are praying people. And as a result of prayer, because surely it's no coincidence that during the night the mysteries then revealed to Daniel in a vision. Daniel prays, God reveals. But notice what happens next. Because before pulling his coat on and rushing out the door and going straight to the palace, Daniel pauses to praise. Or praise again, you could say, only this time it's not a prayer of petition. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. It's, so, it's a song and he sings, praise be to the, God, the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. You see, people of deep faith are not only praying people, they're praising people. They vocalize their adoration. They sing their hearts out. They get themselves a little lost in wonder, love, and praise. They know how important it is to worship. And so again, another question, lots of questions this morning. How have you praised God so far this morning. How will you praise God after I shut up and sit down? Lips from the heart. Deep people are praising people. And as Daniel praises God, he rejoices loudly in the fact that God's wisdom reveals deep and hidden things. And you know, one of the big lessons of this chapter, or maybe in fact, I am absolutely convinced that the big lesson of this chapter is now clarified and spelt out for us in absolute detail. And here it is. Only 
God's wisdom can reveal the mysteries of life. Do you know, people today are constantly searching for answers to the big questions of life. And they're looking in all kinds of different places and alternative directions for clues regarding meaning, the future, hope, purpose. And yet the reality is that only God's wisdom truly reveals answers and insight into these questions and mysteries. It's nowhere else. And for us here this morning as 21st century people, as 21st century Christians, we are privileged to have God's written and revealed word to us that enables us to make sense, that enables us to join the dots, that enables us to find hope, that enables us to uncover answers and discover life in all its fullness. It's only God. It's only God's revealed word. And his wisdom that can tell us about the mysteries of life. And Daniel sings about God's gift of revelation and, and people of deep faith do. One final comment about this song. Daniel is grateful that God is wise and powerful. And yes, he sings about that. But did you notice that he's also grateful for this startling fact? God has given him wisdom and power. God is wise and powerful, but God doesn't hog those things. God gives them. God gave Daniel, gives you and I wisdom and power. He gives it to those who ask. 1 James, or James 1, 5. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. Plus, and again, I know I'm jumping forward, but do you recall the promise of Jesus to his followers before he returned to his father? What did he say to Christians? You will receive what when the Holy Spirit comes on you? Power. As Paul says to Timothy, you haven't been given a spirit of fear. You've been given a spirit of power. And as Peter makes clear, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Everything. God has given it to us. So let me ask again, how deep is your faith? Daniel recognizes the source of his wisdom and power, and he thanks God for them, and then he throws on his coat, and he goes to live in light of those truths as he heads off for an audience with a king. So how's your wisdom and power levels this morning? Do we need to return to the divine source and seek a further supply? If you feel this morning you're lacking wisdom and you're lacking power, get on your knees before God. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Get on our knees before God and praise him that he has given us those gifts. Well, back to the story. Daniel goes to see Ariok the assassin and he asks him to be taken to the king but whenever King Nebuchadnezzar asks Daniel are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it Daniel immediately shifts the focus did you notice this 
Daniel could have said, yeah, I can interpret your dream, Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel could have taken a bit of personal credit, a bit of personal kudos. He could have grabbed some of the attention, but no, he makes it clear that no wise man, including himself or magician or enchanter, could ever do what the king has asked or what the king wants. But here's what Daniel says. There's a God in heaven who can. There is a God who is, now look at verse 29, because here is a title of, for God that I've never really kind of, well, I've thought about it before, but I've never really reflected on it, I have to admit. Daniel describes God as the revealer of mysteries. God is the revealer of mysteries. He is the one who's going to give the king, via his dream, a glimpse of the future. So this is not about Daniel enhancing his reputation, enjoying the limelight as he stands before the king. This is not about Daniel promoting himself, even though he had a perfect chance to do it. No, this is about Daniel deflecting the spotlight. This is about Daniel ensuring that the glory goes to God where it should. You see, before Daniel says another thing, he wants to make sure that his listeners are clear about who deserves the renown, who deserves the honor, who deserves the fame, who deserves the recognition, recognition, who deserves the thanks. It's not him. And again, I want to suggest that that's another characteristic of deep people, that they are keen and careful to avert attention from themselves and put it all towards God. They long to give God the glory for who he is, for what he has done. To pick up another New Testament idea first expressed by the Apostle John, deep people are those who want God to increase, them to decrease. See, deep people live lives that keep pointing others to God, never to themselves. And then, we're nearly done. Then Daniel goes on to tell Nebuchadnezzar what he dreamt and what he meant. Now, I am not going to go into too much detail about this dream. For some people, this dream has become the primary focus of Daniel chapter 2. And I don't think it should be. Challenge me about this afterwards, please do. I'm not suggesting the dream is unimportant. I'm not suggesting the dream is uninteresting. But I honestly believe we must not let our curiosity and our fascination regarding a divine glimpse of the future that is unclear to us. It's really important we don't let those things eclipse the big theme of this chapter, which is only God's wisdom can reveal the mysteries of life. The content of the dream are intriguing. Its interpretation or what we have of it is intriguing, but it's actually Daniel's God-given ability to know it and interpret it that needs to grab the headlines. And as Daniel interprets it, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, listen, you are this head of gold of this massive statue that has this head of gold, this chest and arms of silver, this belly and thigh of bronze, legs of iron and feet that are partly iron and partly clay, which is suddenly smashed into smithereens by a rock, which itself then becomes huge and fills the whole earth. And Nebuchadnezzar, you are this head of gold. 
And after you is going to come three kingdoms, but Daniel doesn't identify them. And as a result of Daniel not identifying, there has been lots of controversy for centuries regarding the identity of them. The most popular is that the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar, it was Babylon. The silver was the Medes and the Persians. The bronze was Greece, Alexander the Great. The Rome, the iron was Rome. That's the most popular. But back to the actual interpretation. Because the wrecking ball, the rock that smashes all those other kingdoms to pieces, that is identified. That is clear for us. It's God's kingdom. All the others, whatever they are, whoever they are, are human constructs. But this rock, this kingdom is, to quote Daniel twice, not made by human hands. And you know what else? This kingdom is going to endure forever. And whatever way we as New Testament and Bible readers process this interpretation, we cannot help, and nor should we, we cannot help but think of this rock as Jesus Christ, who was not made from human hands and who establishes God's kingdom forever, who overthrows all other kingdoms or certainly will eventually. But now we're getting into interpretation of the interpretation. And I don't have time. Daniel finishes by saying the dream is true and how he has interpreted is trustworthy. By the way, whenever you get to the second part of Daniel, whenever you get to chapter 7 through to chapter 12 and particularly chapter 7 and 8, the focus on the dreams about the future does become a major concern. But as I said last week, the plan is we're just going to take this series up to chapter 6. But we might continue it. And I know some of you are thinking, he is just a complete scaredy cat. Yeah? <laughs> he's done this with Corinthians, and now he's doing it with Daniel. Okay? I, I recognize that. Okay? And I will come back to these, some of these more apocalyptic future issues. But for me, I kind of want to spend some time in the narrative. Okay? Because I'm comfortable with that. Anyway. <laughs> I know some of you are really disappointed. <laughs> the minute Daniel finishes speaking, and this is brilliant. This, I just love this. Because the minute Daniel finishes speaking, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He worships. The mighty king of Babylon is face down on the ground before Daniel, and this is what he says. Surely your God is the God of gods. Surely your God is the Lord of kings. Surely your God is a revealer of mysteries. And here again, and this is what I long for, here again, the focus is back on where it belongs. It's back on God. It's back on the reality that only God's wisdom can reveal the mysteries of life and what is the only appropriate response to that discovery? The only appropriate response whenever you realize that, whenever you get that, whenever you grasp that, whenever you grab that, the only appropriate response is worship. Face down, God-honoring worship. And this final scene is startling. 
And here's how one commentator has described it. The most powerful pagan in the world lies prostrate before an exiled Jew. Chills of excitement and the flames of hope will rise in the hearts of those who identify with Daniel and his God. Just take a moment to read that again, because I hope and pray that this is true of us this morning, that as we continue to engage with this story, as we continue to identify with Daniel and with his God, that chills of excitement and flames of hope will rise in our hearts because this God of gods, this Lord of kings, this revealer of mysteries, do you know what? This is our God. This is our God. And therefore, what is the only appropriate response? To willingly bow before him now as people of deep faith should. And so, as we continue to worship, let me remind you of the characteristics that we've looked at this morning of deep people. They speak with wisdom intact. They pray. They praise. They get involved. They reflect godly wisdom and power. And they point others towards God. May we Windsor Baptist, may we be those kind of people.